Welcome to What the Fish, a podcast where the fish guys at the Field Museum in Chicago talk about marine life, new and crazy species, natural history news, and fish. So who are the fish guys? We have Dr. Leo Smith, head of fishes, and who is also known as Mr. Burns. Hello. Dr. Matt Davis, postdoc, who has a striking resemblance to Professor Frank. Hello. And Dr. Eric Algren, consultant for fishes and someone we like to call Sideshow Bob. All right. And I am Beth Sanzenbacher, your host, also known as Comic Book Guy, who is going to host the worst podcast ever. So today, we have a very fun topic. We are going to talk about fish sex. Bow, chicka, bow, <laughs> so for the majority of fishes, probably more than 95%, all of the reproduction is external. So it's just spreading of gametes out into the water. A lot of milting. A lot of milting. Yeah, so both, so both the male and female fishes release their egg and sperm, essentially, and all the fertilization and, and the growth of the eggs happens in, you know, in the actual water. And for the most part, most... Fishes have separate sexes like we do, although... But they don't really have sex chromosomes in the same way. They don't have, for the most part, they don't have XY, like... What's, what's Matt's that making a face. <laughs> <laughs> what's that face all do about? Do, we argue about this all the time. So he doesn't believe in sex chromosomes in fishes, exactly. But there are sex chromosomes in fishes. Like, there are. Oh, he, we did talk about this a few weeks ago. We touched on this subject. We argued, yeah. And, and, and you asked me for my input, and I... And I proved one of you right and one of you wrong. You're right. Leo's no, I right. don't think Leo's so. right. The, I think it's like, at the end of the day, it's slightly a semantics issue of, does, like, for me, it's like what chromosome carries the genes that are expressing. There is a chromosome that the fish carries. That yeah, and there are a number of fish signals that... signals that it's going to be a male or a female, but it's not an X or a Y chromosome. Yeah, there's a fish, like, like, lizard fishes have a ZW, just like birds. chickens and birds. So they have specific sex chromosomes. Except a Mazda ZW. Guppies. <laughs> terrible so mileage. Pisileids and Gudeids also have differentiated sex chromosomes that are different between the sexes. I mean, it's not uniform across fishes, for sure. Yeah. But there, is a, there are chromosomes where the genes are on those chromosomes. So the question is, if the genes are the ones that differentiate the sex, are those the sex chromosomes? It's just the situation is far more yeah, complicated in fishes. Yeah, I agree with uh, Dr. Smith that no, that's, that doesn't. They're not the sex chromosomes. If they only. If well, then they, how do you describe <laughs> them? Like, like there are a lot of people that the do chromosome liter- number six or whatever. Yeah, know. but like when people are writing literature on fish reproduction, they're talking about I'm studying the sex chromosome in in the live bearing fishes. They don't write I'm studying chromosome 35, which the genes that express sex. Oh, like, they call them sex chromosomes. Like we call like. You know, where's the line then between those two right. things? Well, what, what's the difference between human chromosomes and these chromosomes? Like, because we have sex chromosomes. But we don't have a... So we ha- if you do a karyology, which is where you make the little thing, the reason it's called an X and a Y mm. is because they look like an X and a Y yes. when you put out the, all the DNA into these chromosomes. Yes. Uh, karyotype? Karyotype, yeah. yeah. These things, fish don't have the... They, don't, they won't look... They're not heterogametic. They don't look different... When you do a oh, karyology. Right. No, but they, but they have different sex, genes yeah, on them. It's still a sex it's still a sex chromosome. It's the chromosome it? with the genes that yeah. carry it. So. I agree with that. But what if All you right. have a case what <laughs> All if, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what if you have a case where the sex changes and that chromosome It's still the, it, it's still the chromosome because like in the temperature ones you're talking about the temperature activates some enzyme that turns yeah. that gene on or off and that's But if what they have if the, the gene has 
if the chromosome has both male and female on there and some external thing determines whether it's a male or female, it's the chromosome that has the sex DNA. Well, it's not. But it's, it doesn't determine it. Like, to me, to be a sex chromosome, it has to determine the sex. Right. And if it just carries the material that the sexes need, then it's not. I mean, by some measure, X, when I'm, I'm XY, mm-hmm. I have all the female. Presumably, I have all the female genetic stuff yes. on my X. Yes. So it's the fact that I have Y that makes me a man. No. Yes. Because, like, you can be XX and still be a man as long as you have well, that okay. SRY gene. As, sure. long as, the, as long as the expressive sex differentiating yeah, like, gene yeah. is there, then you could still be a male. You could have two X chromosomes. It's not, like, the shape of the chromosome. It's the, the genes it's on the it. the way they're expressed. Yeah. Agreed. Or you could be XXY. Yeah. There's you all could have testicular of... feminization is another one where you have uh, uh, testicles, but the tissues are resistant to uh, testosterone. See, there's... So then, I guess the simple truth is like that it's not simple at all. That yes. that reproduction, like we talk about things that we're used to X and Y, and this mm. is a male and this is a female, but it actually is quite complicated across yeah. vertebrates, right. especially in fishes. So right. we're kind of arguing over a semantics issue of like yes. what is a sex would, chromosome, yeah. but at the end of the day, it's the genes on the chromosomes, either they're turned on or off, that changes the sex. I just feel that if you have a, the sex chromosome require if the DNA alone, other than fringe cases determines this gender, then that could be called a sex chromosome if some other external force has to me- go in there and mess with it the way uh, alligators or crocodiles or anything where it's temperature dependent or where you change sexes, like a lot of fish change sexes in their lifetime. How do you call the chromosome that happens to have all those genes a sex chromosome? Because not every chromosome has the genes that are getting expressed that differentiate Sure, but we sex. don't call anything the blue eye chromosome. Well, we could if we were talking <laughs> about it. We could it. call it like the eye color chromosome. I mean, it's all about how we're describing it. Because different things turn on eye color. Yeah, but you, that, that would be silly because there's so much more, very likely so much more on that chromosome that, that to call <laughs> it the eye chromosome would be... Oh. It would be it would be goofy. We don't call, we call the it the sex chromosome. chromosome. <laughs> that's the major thing. That's the major thing that that chromosome is involved in, isn't it? I mean, I don't know. I think it's just the way we describe it. So when we talk about it with other people, it's just we have a simpler situation in humans, and that's how we've grown accustomed to discussing it. When in fact, it's all gene related. Mm-hmm. But if all the genes are are specific to just like a couple of chromosomes, I would say those are the the sex chromosomes in the sense that they're carrying the genes that differentiate sex, whether. Whether the environment is produced, like forcing enzymes to be produced that turn things on or off is a different matter. Like that, yeah, the environment may affect the differentiation of sex in a small number of species of fish, but that doesn't mean those chromosomes aren't carrying those sex genes. But there's, there was obviously an evolutionary reason, not necessarily advantage, I guess it has to be an advantage, that, that it makes sense to put like a whole bunch of your sex things all together on a chromosome and not have anything else on there. There is a reason to do that. But yeah. whether it'll always take that path is not true. But if mm-hmm. the second you have that situation, that's when it's a sex chromosome. When it, this thing is just, this is all the kit and caboodle. And it's like when things like, you know, baldness and men or something are attached still because of legacy stuff, then you're just, it's a mess. I mean, like, we want everything off of that thing. And then it's a sex chromosome. Yeah, but there are fishes where all of those things are on very specific handful of chromosomes. They're not just spread throughout all the chromosomes. Oh, I'm not saying that, but if there's a whole bunch of other junk on there, like, you know, like determining like scale patterns or, you know, Hox genes are on there. Who knows what's on there? There's but other like, stuff on our, our sex chromosomes too. I know, but it, it, and things yeah. like that. There's a, but it's it, it, mm-hmm. advantageous to try and 
it seems advantageous based on the number of times that we actually get uh, sex chromosomes that you can determine from karyology that are different. The number of times that seems to have evolved independently mm-hmm. between birds and things. Obviously, there's some reason that this happens. Like, you don't get repeated evolutions of things over and over and over and over again unless it's advantageous. Yes, so there's a reason we want to do that. And I have no earthly idea why you'd want to do that. But it, maybe it's because if, if anything goes wrong with that thing, it, you have a giant horrendous cascade. And so you want to lump them all together. So if there's a genetic malformation or something goes wacky, it, it just, you know, Everything kills the thing. It prevents the, the thing yeah. from ever growing um, developing. up. Developing, yes. Yeah. Well, what, what are, like, some of these examples you've been talking about, though, especially with, like, um, temperature affecting sex? And fish. So, how can temperature change? Shrinkage. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like the situation in alligators. alligators, where you have, if above a certain temperature or below a certain temperature, the fish just is a certain gender, and you know, I don't know if they have. I'm sure there's some fish that have this do the same thing with alligators or turtles, where they put them in different parts of, or that's more turtles to do that, but put the eggs closer to, you know, in warmer or colder places to try and make specific genders or bias the... Now, you, now you keep saying gender, and I, I wonder, do you do you mean, when you're saying gender, do you mean sex, or do you, or do you mean gender? Well, I, I, you guys made me all, like, self-conscious about the <laughs> sex thing. With the, I don't know what I... I mean... I think genetic, gender is generally, like, a social thing. I was going to ask about that, but I mean, probably... So, like you're saying, male they produce sperm, male, yeah. or, female, male or female they gametes. produce eggs. Yeah. So the sex of the fish is whether it's male or female. The gender of the fish would be, I don't know. Is there a gender of how they behave? Like male fish behave? Because you could That's you could have you could be a female right. sex, but your gender could be male. Right. Uh, as well, a human. I think a, like Do a seahorse. A, a seahorse is a male, but it takes it actually is the one that gets pregnant. And it has the female care. It has the parental care of what would be associated with most female fishes that carry the. So eggs. its gender role is a female gender role. Yeah, but that's something that we make up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's something like we make humans up. Humans make not up gender. The actual that doesn't exist. Right. Right. The actual sex I think we're talking about is whether they're making male in quotes, or female gametes. So, so when you're saying, I, I was trying to make the distinction <laughs> between like if you were XX and a male. Mm-hmm. You'd be your gender would be male, but arguably your genetically your sex might be right. Female. That's what I'm saying. And so I was. That's after you guys made me feel guilty about this or <laughs> accused me of something that I didn't mean to imply. I started using the word gender. So I was trying to get away from the. I was trying to do the the phenotype rather than the which would ninety nine point nine percent of the time I match think that's the good. Phenotype. That's why we're that's why we're talking about. It. I think that's an interesting distinction to make. That's why I did. That's why I flipped my switch in my head. Oh. It's a complicated issue. I would like to go back to temperature because I don't um, this this like how this works. Well, I think it's on some way it's directly related to the fact that but fishes are a little more plastic than a lot of other vertebrates in the sense that they can switch sexes and like over the course of their life. Right. So there's a number of fish that'll start off life as a male, mm-hmm. and then some factor will influence them in a way that they become a female, or vice versa. They'll start out life but, as a female and switch to becoming a male. But I'm missing. I'm missing one point though. So like, if it, if it's really warm, you know that means you're a male, or above a certain temperature you're a male, right? So below a certain temperature because you're a female. they're cold water. Why would, why would you want all females and all males? Well, so these are cold water animals or, you know, or whatever, not endothermic, what is it called? Ectothermic, ectothermic animals. So these fishes are 
there, you know, we can't do this as a mammal because we maintain a body temperature. And so a temperature dependent thing would just never work with it. If you were pregnant, you would have us the same temperature so that the body just can't do that because these things are environmentally, you know, sort of adjusted by the temperature. There may be reasons that when it's colder, you want, you know, you have, you know, there, I, there's going to be different reasons throughout, but you can imagine a scenario, let's say, where a female should be produced when it's warmer or colder because it, they're going to take a little bit longer in order before first age of reproduction because it's harder to make eggs than it is to make sperm. And so you might time things such that when it's colder, you become, you know, that gets you an extra six months if you're not in the tropics, let's say, to uh, for age of first reproduction, you know, or, you know, because these things tend to uh, spawn in cycles. And so if you have something like that, then there might be re- there could be a logical reason for something like that, right? To have more females but it's, in the population, it, right? But as far as the genetics, I, my assumption is I don't I've never read anything about it. Is that under certain temperatures, certain you know enzymes are activated and they they'll go in and yeah. turn you that mm-hmm. towards that yeah, gender that, or sex. That's what happens, and for the most part, it's not totally understood across all the different groups of fishes that do these kinds of things. Like exactly what the factor is. Sometimes like. There's studies that show in this group it is temperature related, mm-hmm. but there are other groups that switch their sex throughout their life that nobody knows what the trigger is for that. Like right. what actually triggers that sex switching? Like we don't necessarily know, but we, you know, we hypothesize that it's environmentally related, or it could even be developmentally related. That at this point in their life they just switch. Well, we also we know cases where it's behaviorally mediated. Yeah. Also, yeah. so you can you know because of you're the biggest fish on the coral reef, you're going to be one gender and all the smaller ones are a different gender. Like clownfish. When, when, when the uh, fish uh, switch sexes, is there any external, um, like do they become bigger, do they change colors or any sort of like yeah, flag? Yeah, sometimes. Um, lots of times. Lots of times? Not every time, but lots of times. So in the parrotfishes and wrasses and things like that, you have situations like that. Um, I think in those you can have sneaker males. Mm-hmm. Ma- regular males or primary males or whatever they're called, and females can all be different colors of the same species. It makes it like a giant disaster for a taxonomist to go through and try and figure out these things because they look completely different. Right. And so all those different cla- reproductive classes or whatever you want to call them are are color difference have color differences. If the if the fish population is all living in the same water and the water is a certain temperature, then they're all going to be female. How do, would they reproduce? If there's a, if the, if the temperature determines the sex, wouldn't all of them be the same sex at the same time? So there's not not that many fish are necessarily temperature dependent. Okay, I don't know the exact numbers, but in that situ- the thing to remember, at least in the ocean, is that the fishes are carried at the plankton for you know days to months to many months and so if the fish is carried off to sea for six months away and you know it could be could have been the parents could have been reproducing in indonesia and the baby ends up in you know east africa Mm -hmm. um in a situation like that it won't matter you know the populations get all mixed oh because so so the sex would be determined by the water temperature in these certain species that you're talking about but those that would be where the fish was uh, uh uh some point in development. I don't know some when point, in Some point in development, but that's not the type of fish that would switch sexes based on the it, – it, it, it might be born in a warm environment, born or, or hatched in a warm environment or fertilized in a warm environment and develop into a certain sex. But it wouldn't be that that fish is always female in this warm environment and then it swims out to cold water and then it turns into a male and then – I don't know of any cases where 
sex change where you have the ability to change sex where it's temperature dependent. That doesn't mean it's not, it doesn't happen, but right. That's a, that's the thought. I, that's the thought I had when you were talking about it. That that these were temperature dependent sex changes that happen sort of dynamically in the yes. same fish. That's what I thought too. Like yeah. over their life, like now it's warm. Now I'm a guy. Now well, sometimes cool. it only happens once. So in most hermaphrodites, if they switch once, that's they stay the next sex for the rest of their life. They don't just they don't just keep switching back and right. forth. They'll switch one time. It's like a human and it might be temperature related in that. Yeah. Okay. In that regard. Oh, do fish fight over, like, what sex they can be? Like, flatworms when they penis fence? That, that was, like, <laughs> I, I love this stuff. So, like, flatworms, they, like, penis fence, and the loser becomes What's really funny is the, the way Beth is, is showing penis fence. the winner becomes the male. So, like, they, 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 like, fight to decide what the sex is. Um, but do fish do anything like that? Do they, do they fight over who gets to be what sex? The closest thing is probably the clownfish. <laughs> I love your face. <laughs> you crazy lady should stop talking. I can't think of any where they actually fight over which one gets to switch sex, but... I'm sure that but there's they're... cases that somebody will point out to us, but... Uh, yeah, with clownfish, there are a lot of the, fish. So. I don't know. I don't know too many sex-changing animals that are behaviorally mediated besides clownfish. I'm not sure I know any. So then the clownfish is the largest uh, individual on a... On a sea anemone or coral, wherever they are, mostly sea anemones, um, is always going to be a female, and all the other ones on the on the sea anemone will be male. So you could, if you have, you know, seven clownfish on on a single coral head, you'll have one female, six males, but only one of the six males will actually be reproductive. Mm -hmm. And if you take away the largest female, the largest male will become the female, and the second largest male will become the male, the reproductive male, or the primary reproductive male. Oh, that's really interesting. So, it, it so it's sort of a hierarchy, like the uh, uh, the it's it's sort of like the queen of the right. coral head. And from yeah. what I recall, if you put if you actually put in a larger female on the coral or the sea anemone, um, I believe that the the largest the what was the female will actually regress or whatever the word would be back to a male. I like regress. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you do. As soon as I said it, I knew Beth was going to like that. But this obviously would put a big spin on Finding Nemo. Yes, that because. No. Yeah. Because in yeah, in Finding Nemo, not to spoil it for those who haven't seen it, but obviously the mother dies at the beginning. Coral. Oh, I wanted to see that movie, and you ruined it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Only ten years late, um, so <laughs> and it only happens in the first five minutes of the movie. So. Yeah, so like in the, in that case, then the father would have became the new mother, and Nemo would have been the new mate. week our fish of the week which is in a jar and there's two of them and there's one big one and one little one and it's very cute and it is our ever familiar clownfish or Nemo I actually don't know if this is the same species as, as Nemo is um, but we're going to talk about the clownfish so is this the same species as Nemo it's his clownfish that's, that's complicated oh that's so complicated oh. They, they depicted Amphiprion ocellaris the common clownfish mm. in Nemo um, but the fish that should have been on the reef where they were was actually should have been Amphibrion percula, which looks very similar. Right. Um, but they went with the common one, but they wanted to make it in the Great Barrier Reef. I think it's a fair enough. Take that, Disney. Yeah, yeah. take that, Disney. <laughs> I'm mixing different Of the errors they made in that movie. <laughs> yeah. The that's, shark's not That's a fish. smaller one. But so that is the one that they depicted. 
Right. But it wouldn't have been found. So that's Amphiprion. So where, where is this guy normally found? This is further north. Further north. Okay. Same area, just... Yeah, yeah. Philippines or... Yeah, that kind of place. Yeah. I think that one is actually right. from from Buswanga, which is in the Philippines. Right. So, so how do these guys reproduce? Are they the, the typical splaying their eggs and sperm out in the open? And No. No. So this, the clownfishes have parental care, so that we already talked about the sex change in the podcast, but the male, the smaller ones are always male, and the largest one is always a female, and after they reproduce, they actually stick the babies onto a, like a rock or a coral or the you know something near the, the sea anemone, not on the sea anemone itself, but right around it. Just like the little cave in the movie, although I don't think I've ever seen a clownfish lay an egg it's in a cave right next to a sea anemone. But it's the same idea. They got it well, roughly seen it right. Hundreds of times. Yeah. <laughs> Thousands of times. I see, I see it every day. Man. Yeah. And uh, so they, and then the, I think they lay the eggs. The, yeah, the, the, definitely. And then the female, uh, the male goes in and lays the milts on them. Right. And, and it's only the largest male. Do the other smaller males try to fertilize it as well? Or do they like back I'm sure off? there's some variation across all clownfish. Okay. There's... 40, some uh, 30, 40 species of clownfish. Yeah, you can get a lot of angry mail from the clownfish <laughs> specialists. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and so then they have parental care. So they actually, the eggs will hatch and the fem- the male, the babies will hatch out of the egg and they'll still be stuck with the cement gland onto the rock. They'll be rig- what we call wrigglers or wigglers. And then they'll, after that, then they'll slowly grow up and then they'll pull off the wall and then they'll start feeding and the parents will still take care of them for a while, which is why... Uh, clownfishes are one of the few ocean-dwelling fishes that we actually can breed in the aquarium trade and sell. Most fishes in the aquarium trade are actually wild-caught. Mm. These guys we can reproduce in captivity because of this parental care. Mm. So they don't have to have a month out in the plankton. And so, you know, I mean, the clownfishes are, you know, pretty stereotypical. Uh, you know, everyone's sort of seen them, you know, but the very striking white and black pattern with the orange. I mean, I think they're one of the most, even though they're, it's probably... Well, they live in a stinging sea anemone creature. That's the other thing about them. They're, they, their environment is is toxic to other creatures or dangerous to other creatures. Yeah. Are they are they immune? Do, do they not get stung, or are they immune to the stings, or do they get stung and it doesn't bother them, or how how do they survive? Supposedly, that? what they're excreting a mucus that they cover their body with to protect them from the stinging. I, I heard like but they, they get a little bit of the mucus from the. From the sea anemone, and it gets yeah. mixed together. Yeah, oh, and they like incorporate that. Like they have to do that from when they're young. They have to incorporate some of the stinging cells and some of the mucus from the anemone, and that helps. Give so them the anemone the doesn't. The, the way it works is that the nematocysts, the stinging cell of the sea anemone, don't sting the clownfish because it thinks it's itself. So the anemone of my anemone is my friend. Ah! <laughs> and with that, <laughs> <laughs> I think we're good. Now, do fish reproduce asexually? I think there's only a, there's a few cases of parthenogenetic fishes, um, but in general, it's not a very common reproductive strategy in vertebrates. There's a few lizards that do it, and there's a few fish, but not many species that I know of. And even work, you know, there's just no meiosis, so that you basically just self a little bit. So there's been studies, so, the, so they don't self fertilize. They don't produce separate egg and sperm gametes within themselves, which few... No. There's other... there that We can get to that in a second. There is That's also an option in fishes. Okay. Yeah. Um, but in but this that case, wouldn't be called parthenogenesis? 
that we call those self-fertilizing. Okay. Yeah, because they're producing functional male and female gametes. In some in parthenogenetic animals, they're technically clones because they're okay. not incorporating male gamete material from outside. It's like it's they they in some cases they're already born with the egg ready to go, right? And it just it just needs like the 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 stimulation to get the whole process moving. And then, and sometimes you don't even need the stimulation from a male, like from the outside. Like some lizards can just do it, you know, without any stimulation. Well, maybe you should talk uh, about mitosis versus meiosis for people who might be listening to this podcast and don't already know what that what the distinction is between those two. So mitosis is just cell splitting and dividing like you would have like a skin cell or something like that. And then in the germ lines or the sex. Where you have one cell and then it divides and then you have two cells, each the, cell with a copy of the whole genetic blueprint or whatever, the, all the DNA. In meiosis, it splits into two um, separate chromatids. Mm-hmm. And those two chromatids, one goes, every sperm or egg has only one copy. And then when the male and female uh, gametes come together, you get a whole blueprint that's a mix of mom and dad or equivalent. Yeah. In humans, you have chrom- chromosomes come in pairs and you get one half, one of the pairs of chromosomes from your mother and one of the pairs of the chromosomes from your father. Mm-hmm. And it works the same way in fish? Sure. Chromosomes come in pairs? Yeah. I mean, you don't necessarily get the one from mom and one from the dad because you can have self-fertilization or you can uh, have These other things we're talking about. Yeah. Right. But in the parthenogenesis, there have been some studies that shown that like little bits of other parts of DNA. So we have things called mitochondria, mitochondria in our cells, and they have mitochondrial DNA. And there's actually been cases that they've shown where the in the guppies that are parthenogenic, you actually get little bits and pieces of the mitochondrial DNA from the quote of the sort of dad. Like little bits of DNA can get moved around with that. They've shown some amount of variation, and I don't really fully understand how that works. Is that like midichlorians in Star Wars? <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know what that is. I do not know what midichlorians are in Star Wars. Your dorkiness sometimes is <laughs> very the beginning of the you. end. For I thought Star you were the comic book guy of all people. You should comic. Know. I've never no, looked I'm, at a comic book in my I'm, whole life. No, not you. She's comic yes. book guy. What's a midichlorian? Midichlorians. That's what uh, decides how much force that you have. So, was, like, they're little. It's like a mitochondria of yeah. force. It was basically that live inside you. That word's never been used in that. Force. That was never used in it that. It was in the first one. The <laughs> yeah. Four or one? Episode one. Episode, oh, one. episode one. He basically must have list, like flipped open a biology textbook and was like, oh, what produces energy in us? Oh, mitochondria? Oh, midichlorians. <laughs> <laughs> some, uh, some real hard thinking that day. Oh. Yeah, he had to name a lot of things. Give him some credit. And to be clear, I do like George Lucas. <laughs> oh, that yes. one that one part of Star Wars seemed very like ah, oh, the biologist. That was like the, kind of groaning. The most penis fencing part of Star Wars was that. <laughs> I think uh, that's the lightsaber fight. That's the lightsaber. <laughs> Let's not. We could talk about Star Wars for hours. So I'm going to stop us right now before we go down the path. So I want to know more about. So there's a couple things I want to know about, but I want to finish talking about the difference between. Um, kind of the clone fishes and the fishes that self-fertilize. Okay, so um, they are different reproductive strategies. So there are a number of fishes that are simultaneous hermaphrodites. So earlier we were talking about how some fishes start off life as a male and then they can switch to a female or start off as a female and then switch to a male. Mm. There are some fishes that are capable of producing sexually mature gametes of both males and females in the same organism. So 
those gametes sometimes are able to self-fertilize so that fish can self-fertilize itself because it's making both egg and sperm. So those are true hermaphrodites. Yeah, those are true hermaphrodites and they are functional simultaneous hermaphrodites. Mm. Now, not all fishes that produce male and female gametes at the same time have been demonstrated to actually self-fertilize. Probably one of the more well-known documented cases is uh, killifish, um, cryptolabius marmoratus. Uh, So this is a, a fish that's found in Brazil. So this is kind of a a case study for hermaphrodites in terms of fishes. But there but for example, some of the groups of fishes I work on, which are deep sea lizard fishes, are capable of producing sexually mature male and female gametes at the same time, but there's never been necessarily evidence that they self-fertilize themselves. Mostly because that's hard to, you know, prove or test in a laboratory setting with a deep sea fish. But we do know that is capable of happening in some of these other fishes that live in freshwater habitats. And saltwater habitats. Yeah, and saltwater. But have, it's not super well, it's not super common to have demonstrated that they self-fertilize. And then the other ones, they just basically excrete a clone of themselves out into the water. Yeah, the other ones are clonal. So like the self, the, the ones that are self-fertilizing hermaphrodites, they're actually, re, you know, they're sexually recombinating They produce DNA. like a germ cell and just extrude it and yeah. it just floats out in the water and starts reproducing and it, another yeah. fish. Yeah, exactly. And it can wow. fer- and it'll fertilize. Where like the clone the ones that are clonal, it's all happening um, in a way where the actual DNA is essentially like a clone. Like we're talking about just mitosis. And the cloning ones are they have plac- like a placenta basically. They have li- they're live bearers. Uh-huh. And so it grow it can grow up and then we're you know, so they're there's a whole lot of stuff that could be potentially like playing a role in how wide, how this could have ever even evolved. In the case with self-fertilizing, it's you have it in sea basses, yeah, uh, some deep sea lizard fishes, deep sea lizard fishes, the the cryptolabius, yeah, which is the they're basically a killifish. Um, there's a lot of different cases where it's happened. There's sharks. Are these creatures that evolved from sexually reproducing creatures and then evolved this cloning ability afterwards? In the case these... of lizard fishes, they are. In terms okay. of the hermaphroditism, not not necessarily the cloning. But in, a, but in the live bears, yes, they were also separate sexed. And then they've evolved the cloning afterwards. And it's happened. Weird things have happened all over inside the live bears. The live bears mm-hmm. have, are just a mess. Right. Trying to figure, like Trying to tease apart the evolution of the different weirdness of their reproduction is... Because the classic story, is, as I understand it, is that cell, cell division was the first thing to occur. Sexual reproduction allowed mm-hmm. much more diversity and, and uh, uh, sort of drove evolution rapidly. Well, I don't think you can, at some level, you can't evolve. You just mutate if you're just selfing all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm mutating all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm mutating right this very minute. And you don't even know it. Well, except for viruses. They mutate a lot. But, but they viruses. clone. Well, they not, clone, but they don't have checks on their I, DNA, so that's why they mutate a lot. I don't know if they do We don't this. need to talk about that. For the parthenogenetic fish, like for parthenogenic lizards, people have gone back and they can actually trace the populations to a single evolutionary point where, you know, this is where this moment evolved. And everything from that point on, this whole population is a clone of that mm-hmm. initial hybridization event. And for some of those lizards, it's actually from a hybrid event where two species Hybridized, and the outcome was this was a like a triploid parthenogenic lizard. Triploid means that there's three copies of yeah, the DNA instead copies of two of copies, yeah. and then you can imagine that that would create a world of hurt if they didn't self at that point. Because if you have three copies of DNA and then everyone else has got one, that we, you know, that very few trisomy situations even allow survival, so like Down syndrome or something like that. Then that's just a copy of one of the right. chromosomes, not the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, you can just you get too many all the sort of mechanisms for keeping like the checks and balances in your body. 
that are controlled at the DNA level go out of control if all of a sudden you have additional genes to work from. You know, you, you, know, you might have sort of opposing forces of male and female and things like that. <laughs> all sorts of complications. Yeah. That's a, the, the thing is, like, I'm not sure how parthenogenesis evolved in the light bearers, if it was like a hybrid type event, like it's hypothesized with the lizards or what, or if it's just a mutation. That would be like if, if human females all of a sudden started having virgin births. Yeah. They yes. All of a sudden were mm-hmm. yeah. not, not being fertilized, but just uh, uh, suddenly becoming pregnant with a clone of themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. That'd be creepy. Notes for my new science fiction novel. <laughs> That's right. Creepy. So let's talk about live birth in fish because that just it does not sit well in my head because you think fish and you think eggs. But like, so how does it work? Is there a placenta? Like, do they? What are they? There, well, there's a few different stages. So okay. there's there's internal fertilization is sort of an almost almost necessary step towards right. live birth. It's not always required. You can sort of I think there's even lizards and things that, that do that. Or can, or salamanders. Salamanders. The, the okay. sperm moves. Oh, yeah, they right drop the spermatophore the in the the sperm. Right. Moves there's but like the slime. And yeah. there are some fishes that have internal fertilization that right. don't have. Uh, they don't have live birth. So you can have deposition of, of what are like sperm packets basically in the female. This is what insects, a lot of insects do. And the female will wait to the perfect place to sort of deploy the sperm and egg together so that they can leave it in specific habitats. So they can like in sculpins, for example, you have an intermittent organ or penis that the male uses to deposit the sperm inside the female. She'll go find a particular species that she likes to put her, the babies into so sometimes it's a crab sometimes a sponge sometimes a tunicate and they'll drop both of them together the salt water will then cause the two things to the calcium in the salt water will cause the sperm and the eggs to to sort of unbundle or whatever so that they can then meet and you can have the acrosome reaction and start fertilization and then once you get into live birth it goes sort of haywire there's a lot of different cases of live birth in fishes yeah so one good example is the coelacanth um, has live birth in fishes and not, and not in a case of like, there's something called ovoviparity where the egg, where the, there's internal fertilization, but you still, you know, the, the fish still develops from an actual egg mm-hmm. inside the body as mm-hmm. opposed to outside. But then the true live birth, like viviparity is the sperm is put into the body and then the, you know, the fish develops, sands the egg, and then there are placental like structures. Right. So they're not the same as a placenta mm. in us, but they're but they have a similar function. And you have to be careful with the terminology egg because the female gamete is an egg. Right. Those, all yes. of them have that. It's just they don't have like a chicken egg. Yeah. There's no yeah. coating. Right. Exactly. And you can have ovoviviparity and viviparity. So in sharks and, mm-hmm. and in the elasmobranchs, cartilaginous fish. So basically live birth has evolved independently in the elasmobranchs or the cartilaginous fishes, the sarcopterygians or lobe fin fishes, and the rape fin fishes or, or uh, actinopterygii. Yeah. And they all develop these similar things, but independent of yeah, one another. All yeah, all those are independent. And then within, uh, I think there's probably multiple evolutions of that in sharks. There must be. There are. There That's are. an example um, of convergence. Is that? Oh right? yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then in raffin fishes, there's scores of groups that have independently evolved live birth. And like we've been talking about live bears a lot in this podcast, and that. You know, the common name for those things, like you might be familiar with, like guppies. Sword tails, platies. Sword tails, tails, yeah. Mm -hmm. And they all have... Mollies. An organ that they use to insert the sperm called the gonopodium. Which is different than different other live brain groups. So you have live brain... Like a shark with claspers. Right. 
Um, the engaging Ganapodium fencing. Yeah, that's right. With the clasping, you do have some penis There is some Ganapodium fencing going on. Well, this thing like the Chimera has the claspers on their heads. I know what the title of this podcast is going to be. But, in, uh, but live bearing, so, it's freshwater, saltwater. So do the females always carry um, the live? The live, yes. The live. So it's always like the, the female. Or in the case of the the one parthenogenic guppy, the, the I guess it's a female, but it's a, the, the sex. Right, yeah, right. Produces. And how, how long is their gestation period? Does it vary a lot? I mean. I think that varies a lot across fishes. Especially if you include sharks. Yeah. Right. You're looking at a really long time with some sharks. There's also the sea dragon, which has that interesting reproduction uh, where the male has carries the fertilized eggs in some sort of a spongy organ on its tail section. Can, can you describe that? I just saw it in a video. Well, and those are related to seahorses, so they do the same kind of thing where the male... Like, so it's sort of like the, the same egg, as a pouch. Yeah, so what happens is the in, the... in that case, the female deposits the eggs in to the male's pouch, and then that's where the development takes place. So yeah. the female still produces the eggs, but the male has the pseudoplacenta. Mm. And there's one other group that has something kind of like that, which are the nursery fishes, which are in India and Australia. There's two species um, where the male has a hook on the top of his forehead that's got some placenta-like characteristics and they actually they'll reproduce and then there's like a sack or a, or a, I don't know something like a sack that the male actually hang on this hook on his forehead and carry around where the babies are sitting there in this sack mm. sitting on the top of its forehead wow. really wacky it's like the weirdest thing in the entire world it's, it's and so, it's highly there's a lot of blood flow up there so we are assuming that there's food transfer so it's sort of placenta-like we think so mm. there's been some recent studies trying to Play that up, but we don't even know on the case of that, like how many uh, if the all the ma- all the eggs in there were even fertilized by the male. I mean, because when you have broadcast spawning, like most fish have external fertilization, the milting the milting. You don't know <laughs> broadcast spawning. You don't. You know, I think of like crop dusting. So yeah, so 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 it could be fertilized by multiple uh, different. Right, and then this yeah. this poor bastard is taking care females. of all these other people's babies. If that's the case. There's yeah. one study the baby mama. You don't yeah. know. Right, so, we don't know that either. We so don't know like, if it's the same mama or the same. Right, so yeah. most fish, you know, they, they just release their eggs, they release their sperm, the water takes care of the rest, they fall down, they grow up. Some, flo- <laughs> no, some float, some fall down, some are, you know, there's seven, 8,000 species that stick them on walls of things. Right. They yeah. go through strange developmental stages, some of these creatures, right? They, yeah. And they don't even look like fish when they're... Some of them look like little monsters. Yeah. Like, you don't the really get that. At, yeah, of marine fishes, you don't really get so much larv, larval differentiation. In yeah, weird larvae. That's what I was going to say. The uh, uh, put some of those up on the uh, on the uh, podcast site or something, so you could people could look at pictures. There's a really nice YouTube video of a what's called a oh, what's I don't know a soap. There's a barred soap fish that has larvae where that looks almost like a in like a plant seed where they have like two really really long filaments that that seem like they must be carry used to carry them through water columns there's been some studies to sort of prove that they weren't that but and i'm still dubious of those the reason they have such differentiation is is larvae too is because a lot of the times these fishes they're they're in this like pelagic upper ocean part open water open water part and they're filling different ecological niches than they are when they're adults so they have different adaptations and different morphological functions to survive in these different habitats than they may not live in when they're an adult. And you can even have a case like surgeon fishes or tangs, like like uh, 
uh, Ellen DeGeneres' character Dory and Finding Nemo uh, is that group has they're venomous when they're young and that when, when they're in the larval phase and oh, then for the most yeah. part when they're adults they're not venomous you know you can have pretty seriously different adaptations oh, yeah. so like the larvae like so you know some fish obviously watch over their larvae right and they defend it yeah. that, that's what the movie Finding Nemo made me think he was very protective <laughs> no they are like, the so clownfish, yeah, so clownfish the whole group the clownfishes are a, rela- a group that they're related to the clownfishes, damselfishes, and a bunch of other things like cichlids, um, or even some blennies and things like that. All of those guys guard their young and have adhesive sticky eggs. Right. And, but then some of them just rely on, like, mass quantity. Right? Yeah, like, like, a, like an ocean produce... sunfish will produce millions of eggs with right. every reproductive. You're like, at least one's going to make it. Um, but then I guess it's weird thinking about these larvae that have their own kind of defenses. To keep them safe. Yeah, no. They, well, they've got to if they have no parental care. I don't. When you have a case like clownfishes, they direct. They pretty much direct develop like a freshwater fish. Mm-hmm. Like if the if the parents are t- looking after you, you, you don't. You tend to. That may be true universally. You may you have almost no spikes or any of these weird specializations that you see in the other things. Never really thought about it, but I don't. Nothing's jumping out at me in my head. Well, a lot of freshwater fishes too will take care of their young with like nests. They like they'll build nests to put the eggs in, and then they'll guard those nests. Like there are minnows that do that, or cichlids. Yeah, cichlids are the classic example, and it obviously is successful. I mean, there's 2,500 or more cichlids. Yeah, you know that's, you know, you're looking at about a half of all frogs and amphibians just from cichlids. Right, and when we're actually thinking about this, is the other thing I want to talk about is sneaker males because when you think about reproduction, you think about kind of the the healthiest female and um, kind of the strongest, healthiest male, right? And that's what the female wants, and that's what they select for. Typically, that's what you think about. So that's what's going to reproduce. Like the Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie of the fish kingdom. Exactly. But then you have these guys called sneaker males, which like are Matt. not. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, brutal. brutal. Like Matt. <laughs> <laughs> who aren't necessarily Total the biggest slam. and the strongest, and they're not very tall. Um, but they, they get to reproduce. And, like, this gets – obviously this works well because there's lots of examples of sneaker males. So, like, what are these guys and what do they do? So there's sneaker males, at least in wrasses, toadfishes. Um, there's probably minnows that do it. There must be, right? I don't know about minnows. There must I've be. never heard – but I, you know, I'm it's not a minnow be. reproductive behavior expert. But <laughs> there's so many minnows. There's got to be one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll just hedge our bets and say there are. <laughs> <laughs> you have um, other things that are similar to you have harems also. Mm. So you'll have males. It's kind of like lecking in birds, where you go to a certain place, display on certain things. So butterfly fishes will do this. Um, other groups too. So there's a lot of time where you can have where cho- female choice is removed. If you have external fertilization. Generally, you, the female can't choose be as choosy as with internal fertilization. So yeah, so but you have all these different things where you can have. But the sneaker males are basically little tiny useless males that go up and try and milt on top of the the Brad Pitt. You know, right. so it's like TMZ like, is chasing after Brad Pitt and trying to fertilize Angelina Jolie. Essentially, what happens? Is, <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> It's like one male and one female. They're the one male may be courting the female and kind of getting the female ready to reproduce, and then some other male comes in at the last second and seals the deal. Yeah. Like so, one male is doing all of the work, and then an, another male who's not doing anything 
not putting in any effort comes in and actually does the reproductive act. Because a lot of times for a lot, I know the males kind of have to, you know, entice the females to release their eggs. Or right? toadfishes, they have to make nests and all sorts of, and they have to croak and they have all sorts of craziness. Yeah, so expend a lot of energy and, and uh, <laughs> yeah. so you subject can themselves to a lot of risk and environmental risks. And so the sneaker male allows the more dominant male to engage in this type of difficult energy intensive behavior. And then while the other male isn't looking, he sneaks in and fertilizes the eggs. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. The thing is that it's, it's kind of, so there is hope for sense. some of us. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of evolutionary explanation for it though, because birds the, do it too, right? I mean, there are other animals that do this. Like that makes sense though, if you think about it. So you have a male that's gotten big, made it through a lot of things. He's going to get them presumably the majority of the babies that come out of that thing. So he's going to be a, you know, a fit, he's going to produce offspring that are fit. You know, evolution makes sense. But the in order to to ensure that you don't just have a few dominant males producing everything, you have this scenario where these smaller males can go in and get a few reproductions, you know, and they may not never make it to be a large adult. So they this would be their only chance. But it ensures that the population has a lot of genetic mixing. The other thing is that these sneaker males in some groups um, eventually do become the larger males. So it's just a transitional thing. When they're smaller, they do this. In some groups, you're Sometimes you're just permanently a, a sneaker male. You never, if you, you went down some path and you're just permanently, you know, lesser. The point is, it's important to have variation. Like, so I guess. Yeah, you need, you know, you, it, the, it, for a species, it's important to have variation. For an individual, it's bad to have variation. Mm -hmm. You want to, you want everything to be yours. You want a father or mother baby all over the place. That's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah. And that's why it becomes survival of the fittest. That's why it, that's why we have that, or that explains natural selection to some degree. And hopefully we've given a case that across fishes, reproduction is pretty complicated. Like, it's complicated on a chromosomal level, genetic level, behavioral level. Um, there's just a lot of different reproductive strategies and morphological entities to the whole process in fishes. So, if you want to agree, disagree... Or ask what the fish, tweet us your questions at fm underscore what the fish. And again, so long and thanks for all the fish. Mm -hmm.